chapter 12, as we read uh, from the Word of the Lord our God. Again, our scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again that you've given to us your word on this day, and that by your providence you have called us to rest and to trust in your truth. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, when we talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, far too often we just talk about the mechanics of the gospel. How someone comes to be a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, a lot of our time is focused upon you know, the, the, the how, what, when, where of the gospel. And, and it's worthwhile every now and then to think more deeply about the why of the gospel. Again, we testify and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has laid down His life for sinners and that all who place their faith and trust in Him shall not only receive eternal life, but shall also receive the righteousness of faith. The blessing of having your sins wiped away and being made new creatures in Jesus Christ. You're receiving that new name, that new family name. The wonderful doctrine of adoption, that we go from being sons and daughters of the devil to being sons and daughters of the devil. Of God the Father. Again, these are wonderful things and things we have to know and we have to get right. Because if you don't get the the the, the how, what, and the when uh, of the gospel correct, then the why is kind of immaterial. But again, if we confess these things to be true, again, it's important for us every now and then to take a step back from those details. And think about the why. And again this morning, what I want to talk about is the beauty of the gospel. Most especially the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible gives us a whole book devoted to showing us the beauty of Jesus. When you go back this afternoon and you're looking for something to do, Uh, As you rest on the Lord's Day, it's worthwhile to read the book of the Song of Solomon. And again, as you read the book of the Song of Solomon, think about who is being talked about. Again, that's a love letter of Jesus Christ and the church. And you think of the language that's used in the Song of Solomon. The way 
that uh, the, uh, the, the bride and the bridegroom speak of one another. You know, we, we hear those words of, uh, of the love that they have for each other. Again, does that describe our love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it most assuredly describes the love that Jesus Christ has for us. You know, one of the ways we see this applied in the New Testament is when the Apostle Paul is talking about the relationships between husbands and wives. And one of the directions that Paul gives to husbands is that they are to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. And sometimes when we read that, we can limit it just to, again, the act of salvation. Right? That Jesus Christ died for the church. That, right? Jesus Christ laid down His life for sinners. And we think about that and we testify that yes... Husbands are to put the lives of their wives ahead of their own. And we believe that husbands are to protect their wives, even at the loss of their own life. Again, think about what that picture looks like even more than just at that kind of, uh, that, that kind of ground level thing. And what does it mean for a husband to love his wife as Christ has loved the church? Well, again, we believe that salvation, that redemption, isn't a one-time act at the cross. But it's a lifelong work that the Lord Jesus does for His people. Again, the Lord Jesus, when He rose from the dead and went to heaven, isn't just kind of hanging out there and waiting for God the Father to tell Him to come again. But Jesus Christ is actively involved in the life of His people. You know, not only in that kind of kingly role as king over all things, as the one who brings judgment down upon the enemies of God. But again, remember what Jesus tells the disciples in uh, that, that beautiful section of John 14 through John 17. As He's preparing them for the cross. You remember there how He tells them that His going away is for their benefit. And that His going away again, is not just focused upon the cross, but upon the giving of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is going to dwell with them and be with them and, and watch over them during uh, their lives. And again, how do we see that actually take place in, in, in kind of real life? Again, what happens to the disciples after Jesus uh, 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 ascends into heaven? Well, we see as they go out and as they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, as they go out into the world to deny Christ crucified, uh, that they are killed. That they are uh, wounded. That they are imprisoned. That they are rejected by men. But what is it that motivates them to go out into the, the teeth of the wolves, as it were? Again, it's their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And their love is a reflection of Christ's love for them. Again, that's an important part of uh, of understanding, again, our own place in God's kingdom today. And what is the motivation for our obedience to the law? What is our motivation uh, for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, it's a reflection of what Jesus Christ continues to do for us through the love that He has for each and every one of His people. 
Again, God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins on the cross. But again, it's, it, it, it's much more than that. Again, we see that in daily work that the Lord Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit, again, not only dwells with us, but the Lord Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, again, rises in our hearts uh, through the means of His grace, a greater understanding of what that love means. So when we're, for example, going through a particularly difficult time in life, well, what is our recourse? Is it not to look up, up, up unto the Lord Jesus? Is it not to look up to the heavens themselves and to see and be reminded that the Lord Jesus is not only present with us, but the Lord Jesus is carrying us through that time? One of the, the, the pictures that Jesus uses to describe His own work is from uh, the Old Testament uh, example of what happened to the people of God in the wilderness. And again, the, what He's looking back to is that day in which uh, those many men and women were, were, were bitten by the serpent. Remember, God had Moses uh, make uh, this, uh, this object that He was to raise up uh, above his head. And when the people looked upon uh, that object, what were they supposed to do? What was supposed to happen to them, I should say? Right? They were to be healed from the affliction that was upon them. And Jesus Christ uses that picture to describe his own work uh, that when we have been, quote unquote, bitten and afflicted by the pains of this life, we are to look up unto him. And looking up unto Him, what is supposed to happen to us? Again, not only are we to be healed, but we are to be reminded that the Lord Jesus, who was raised up on that cross, has now been raised up into the heavens themselves, where He watches over us and cares for us. Again, this is the beauty of the cross. This is the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's a beauty which, which almost is without description. Especially when we take time, as we're called to do, to, to meditate upon this. And that's one of the consequences of, uh, of the busyness of the world around us, of the busyness of our own lives, is that we don't allow ourselves to take time to just consider. You know, and again, we're not talking about adding more work to do in the midst of the busyness. But it's worthwhile in the times of our lives when we have a moment again to take that 30 seconds, that, that minute and a half, again to just think about where we are and how, again, the Lord Jesus has not only guided us in the midst of these things, but to just sit and think about the beauty of our Savior and the beauty of His work and the beauty of what He continues to do for us from day to day. That's one of, the, one of the things, of course, we see Jesus do in His own life. How many times do we hear Jesus tell the disciples to go somewhere else so I can go up on the mountain and be with my Father? Again, why, why does Jesus do that? It's not just that He's tired of being around the disciples, which I'm sure He probably was tired of being around the disciples at times. They were a pretty squirrely bunch of folks. But again, he understands that not only does he need that private time, but he needs that moment to consider what the Lord, uh, his God, what the Father has done for him. And what the Father has called him to do. It's one of the things that Jesus is telling the disciples there in John 14, 15, and 16. Again, the Holy Spirit has been there for me in the midst of these things. 
And the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, I'm sending unto you that you might be comforted in the same way that I was comforted. Of course, it's not that the Holy Spirit didn't exist prior to then. But again, the Holy Spirit had been been held back in a sense. Uh, The Holy Spirit had been awaiting the time that Lord Jesus would come. And the the Holy Spirit would be given to all of those who who rested in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get a sense of, uh, of, of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, not only in the lives of the disciples, but we also see this in, in the Psalms quite clearly. Of course, we see David as kind of the uh, Old Testament example of Jesus, uh, kind of the height of that example. And David, as he's calling out to the Lord in Psalm 55, says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Again, think about what David is saying there. Again, David is testifying to the fact that he has cast his burdens on the Lord. And what has the promise been? That he shall sustain you. And how does David know this? It's because David has paid attention to things in his life. Right? Remember, when he is at that great scene at David and Goliath, what is David's point of reference? Right? It's the providential work that God's done in his life up to that point. Saying, God has delivered me from the lion. God has delivered me from the bear. God has done all these things, but most especially, what has God done? God made a promise to Abraham. God made a promise to Moses. God made a promise to His covenant people that He would never leave them nor forsake them. So who is this God of the uh, the Philistines to stand in the way of God Almighty? He's nothing in comparison to Jehovah. Not only because He doesn't exist, but because we have the Lord our God, not only on our side, but we are belonging unto the Lord our God. And again, that's an important thing to remember in, in the work of the Lord Jesus and thinking about the beauty of Christ. Again, we're, we're, we're not a part of a transaction that God made. Right? We're, we're, Jesus isn't kind of carrying us in a buggy to the cross, paying for us, taking us home and putting us away. And that's not how this works. Again, when we see the love of Christ laid forth in quite beautiful detail in the first epistle of John... One of the things that John wants the people to understand is that not only have we been bought by the Lord Jesus, but we are in the Lord Jesus. Right? That Jesus Christ spiritually dwells within us. That we are a member of the household. That we are in His family. That we are in Him. And that, that, that's vital, again, to understanding not only how we are to cast our burdens on the Lord, but understanding how we are sustained by Him. Again, we're not like kind of plants out in the field where God goes and waters us and feeds us and nourishes us. And then when it's time, He pulls us up and brings us onto the table. Again, we have to understand our relationship with our Heavenly Father in a much different way than that. Again, we are not again these products that God has made and redeemed and carried. But we are the very identity of the Lord our God. Again, that's a point that Paul makes quite clearly there in Colossians chapter 3. Again, that we belong unto the Lord our God, that we are in Him, and that we are of Him. 
Of course, that doesn't make us divine. It doesn't make us a part of the Godhead. Right? We're creatures. But again, it changes again how we understand the work of the Lord Jesus Christ from day to day. Again, we are sustained by His grace because we are in Him spiritually. And we are sustained uh, by His work uh, and we're not moved by these things. Again, why are the righteous not permitted to be moved in, uh, in, in accordance with what David says here? Because remember what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Again, we're held in the bosom of the Father. Right? And we're held in the arms of Jesus. And nothing is going to take us out of that place. Because again, this understanding, this, this knowledge of who we are in the Lord Jesus, again, changes everything about how we fight against the enemies around us. You know, the Apostle Paul in the passage before us in Hebrews 12, again, uses that, that image of a race again. He said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Again, far too often we read this passage, we think of a race, again, we think of a race that we are running. And that Jesus is at the end of the race. And if we make it to the end of the race, we get Jesus. If you've ever watched a marathon or, 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 or watched any of the kind of racing like that, you know, it's certainly not something I've ever been actually done, but I've, I've certainly watched people uh, do it. You, you see uh, these people who are pushing you know, uh, you know, somebody with special needs or, or, or somebody who is physically unable to do the racing. And they, they, they push them for 26.2 miles all the way through. And again, that's how we are supposed to read this passage. And we're not the ones doing the running because if it was up to us to run the race, well, what would happen? And every single one of us would fall out by about mile one if we were made it that far. The reality is, is that we win the race, we arrive at the end of the race because the Lord Jesus Christ has not only carried us through the race, but He is the one actually running it, and we are in Him. Again, this is this understanding of the author and the finisher of our faith. Again, when, when you read a story, you know, not a single one of those characters was active in the writing of their own story. When you read you know, a, a, a book, and you... Even when the, the, the author is writing in the first person, you know, you're kind of reading a story written by somebody else in that kind of sense. Even that person is not the one actually doing the, the, the writing. Right? It's the author who is actively involved in all of these things. And again, when the writer is writing out the story, he's not just kind of going willy-nilly through the whole thing. Right? He has a plan in mind. Right? There's an organization to it. And again, when the Lord Jesus Christ came and died for our sins on the cross, that was not kind of the end of the story. Just as when the Lord Jesus Christ created Adam and Eve in the garden, and that was not kind of a willy-nilly act. Again, when the Lord our God decreed our salvation from before the foundation of the world, He had not only the Lord Jesus, but also heaven in mind. Right? The whole thing was laid out by the hand of the Lord our God. And again, understanding again the authorship of our faith in that way changes not only our response to the Lord God, 
But again, it changes how we deal with the, with the trials in our lives. You know, this morning in Sabbath school, we talked about Joseph. Right? And the whole story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. And of course, we're told something there about Israel. Right? Yeah, we, we talked in the men's class how the, the, the name changed there from Jacob to Israel and then back to Jacob and then back to Israel. And one of the things we're meant to see there is Israel, who's the covenant head, right? who's the kind of the head of the nation, remembers uh, what was said. And he remembers what is said later on in Genesis 49 when he's laying the blessings down upon uh, the uh, heads of his children. And one of the things that, that Israel does when he's blessing Judah, in blessing Judah, he says, out of him will come a king. Now, again, you don't have to be a great biblical scholar to understand who Israel is talking about there. Because who is going to come out of Judah? Right? You know, the, the, the Lord Jesus. Again, all of these things have been laid forward uh, from before the foundation of the world that the glory of God might be shown in them. And it's no different in the lives of Jacob or the life of your individual life. You know, sometimes we, we can take the, the saints and put them up on a pedestal. And we do that often with, Genesis, with, with Hebrews 11, right? We, we hear people call it you know, the hall of faith, right? Or the heroes of the faith. Again, you, you think about the story of Abraham. Right? Yeah. What do we see Abraham do over and over again? Right? What do we see Moses do over and over again? What do we see these men and women do? We see them sin. And again, some of them sin in particularly great ways. Yeah, particularly, you know, particularly in devastating ways. But we see the way the Lord our God, as Joseph says to his brothers... What you have meant for evil, I have meant for good. And so when we think about, again, our own walk, our own lives, the own, the own kind of uh, place that we're traveling from day to day, one of the great comforts we can give ourselves is that if the Lord was faithful to Abraham, He's going to be faithful to me. And why is He going to be faithful to me? Because the same God who's called Abram out of her of the Chaldees to be the father of the multitudes, it's the same God who called you, you, and you out of the darkness and into the light of the gospel. Into the goodness of the heavens themselves. Again, because what is Paul saying in Galatians 3.28? And there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither, neither Jew nor Gentile. All are what? One in Jesus Christ. And so when we read the stories of these Old Testament saints... And one of the things we're meant to learn from them is exactly what, what, what David said in Psalm 55. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Again, that's the testimony of Scripture. He has not allowed the righteous to be moved because, again, of the love and of the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of what the Lord Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And we think of what Paul says in 2 Timothy when he uses this race imagery again. He says there in chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And when Paul says that, again, he's not talking about the work that he has done. Right? He's talking about what the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has done through him in this life. 
And what is the guarantee that Paul constantly looks back to, constantly is reminded of, constantly is calling us to be reminded of? Exactly what the prophet Micah says, Therefore I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me. And this is the, the, the trouble that we often fall into. Again, as we're running this race, again, we think we're the ones running it. Right? We think we're the ones who are chugging right along. And, and when we think we're the ones in charge, we're the ones running, you know, what does the Lord Jesus do to us? Right? He allows us to fall. Right? He allows us uh, to skin our knees, to, 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 to kind of lose our breath in the midst of that. You know, we see that in the way that, that, that God disciplines His people. In the way that He kind of removes uh, His kind of uh, active blessing on us. And why does the Lord do that? Why why did He allow Peter to go and deny Him three times? Why did He allow Saul to be actively involved in the destruction of the church? And why does the Lord do these things to us? Well, one of the reasons the Lord does this to us is to give us eyes to see. To understand, again, the weakness of our flesh. To understand that we are unable to do these things outside of the grace of the Lord our God. Outside of the blessings that we only receive from heaven itself. Again, we get, a, we get a, a testimony to that, of course, in David's great confession of the Lord in Psalm 51. Right when he confesses before the Lord, what does he say? He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Right? And he testifies that, that God allowing uh, the, the son that was born to him in Bathsheba to die was, uh, was part to get of God's condemnation of his sin in the, in, in the murder of, uh, 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 of Bathsheba's husband and of the adultery that he had committed with her. And again, it's important for us, again, as we read those stories in the Bible, again, to see the larger picture, to understand what God's doing there. Again, brothers and sisters, that's that's one of the things that we have to be watchful for as we go about this Christian life. Because we have to be watchful that we not try to run this race ourselves. That we not try to make up the rules of the race as we go along. That we be willing to submit to the wisdom of God, the time of God, the providence of God. One of the uh, other great dangers we can get into is trying to to, uh, to, to, uh, tell God that He's not working fast enough, right? That He's not doing things at the speed I would like Him to do things. Of course, when we looked at Genesis 17 several weeks ago, that was the mistake that Abraham made, right? Abraham was tired of waiting for Isaac. Sarai was tired of waiting. And so she offered up to him uh, the concubine. And he had Ishmael. And we see again in the midst of that, that impatience with the time of the Lord, that great sin was brought into the house of Abraham. But of course we're also reminded something there that we talked about at that time. What does the Lord do 13 years after the sin with Ishmael. The sin that was shown forth in the birth of Ishmael. Well, God returns uh, to Abram. Reminds him of the covenant promise. Reminds him of what God has done and will do for him and for his children. 
And that's, a, that's one of the things that we're meant to understand again about our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And if we are truly His, and He has allowed us to fall into sin, one of the blessings that we're told in the Scriptures is, is that He will not leave us in that. And why is that? Because again, this race is not ours. This race is His that He has given to us and that He is guiding and He is giving for the glory of Himself. And we see Him as He comes to Abram and as He gives Him the name Abraham. Right? To remind Him that He will be the Father of many nations. Again, that's one of the reasons why in this, this time as we've talked about baptism, you know, that, that we talk about improving our baptism, that it's important for Christians to look back at their own baptism, to look back at their baptism and be reminded that they have not become members of the kingdom by the work of their own flesh, by the work of their own will, by the decisions that they have made. Because remember what John says at the beginning of his gospel? That no one has come into the kingdom by the will of man or by the will of flesh, only by the will of the Spirit. And again, if we understand that, that salvation is not up to us, not up to uh, you know, uh, our own work, and we understand that salvation is because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of God the Father calling us unto Himself, again, it changes again how we respond to this beauty of the Gospel. And it changes how we live our lives. It changes how we again operate in the midst not only of trial, but especially in the midst of blessing. Again, one of the great dangers we can have again is uh, having good things happen to us. Because what happens to Israel when things are going really well? They put off the Lord our God, right? They turn away from the Lord our God and think they brought themselves into the land. And the Lord God is quick to remind them that they had no hand in these things. And it's only after there is repentance, only after uh, there is recognition that the Lord God alone is God, that we we see, again, this this guidance brought back into the wisdom of the people. So brothers and sisters, as we we, we close this morning, and as we think about uh, this race that is laid before us, as we think about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as we, we think about the dangers uh, that is, are before us, let us remember uh, th- th- this blessing and this beauty of Christ. Let us remember how wonderful it is to be in the house of the living God. To be in the family of God. And to understand again that not only does the Lord sustain us, Not only will the Lord never permit the righteous to be moved, but that these things are so because of our identity in Jesus. Because our name is the name which is above every name. And that we walk uh, this walk of faith, we run this race of faith, going towards the end, the goal, the finish, which has already been accomplished by the author and the finisher of our faith. Again, we are called to run in such a way that we know who our God is, who our Savior is, and know what He's already done for His people. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give